expose them all. We're going up the wrong way. We're going to have to stop. Welcome to episode 63 of the Cake Watch podcast, the podcast about Brexit and how people in Brussels who are British feel about it, which is really shit. With me, Chris Kendall. It's a really I'm... great opener there. <laughs> it was great, wasn't it? I'm good at this. You got the hook. Yeah. Uh, me, Chris Kendall, I am an EU negotiator. I'm an EU official. Yeah, no, you look at me like that, but I am. You're badass negotiator I'm a these badass days. Badass negotiator, yeah. Are you going to be one of these people that ends up like whooping the UK in future? That's the plan. When we're about on the level with Kyrgyzstan or whatever it is that you're... Don't diss the Kyrgyz. <laughs> They're one of mine. They are, but we're going to be on the same par with them, probably. But they have a better association lucky. agreement than us. If you're lucky. Yeah, if we're lucky. I'm Laura Shields, and I am a another British disaffected Brit living in Brussels. And I am from the British in Europe campaign group, which campaigns on citizens' rights. Um, so we've got three million in the UK, but I would just like to say that all my views are mine, uh, especially if there's any sweariness. Um, we've just eaten um, a takeaway burger, which is why we're feeling cheerful. Uh, the cheer is not going to last because we're going to talk about Brexit now. Um, follow-up. We've, we've got no time for follow-up. We've got too much to talk about. Um, what You well, might be wondering where Steve is. Steve is um, unwell. He's got the flu. So he's recovering in bed, tweeting probably. He shouldn't be tweeting. Steve, stop tweeting. Go to sleep. Get better. Um, so this episode is going to be a bit of an odd one because we've got, not only are we recording once again at Le- on Laura's kitchen table, which is great. But also we're going to cut in an interview that I did with a bunch of Remainers now last week who were out in Brussels for the European Council. Um, so I met I met um, a, whole, a whole group of them. Four of them came out and stood in the rain with me to do some recording. So that's going to be coming up shortly. But before we do that, I thought, why don't we talk about the march at the weekend? That was a, that was a big deal. Why don't we talk about Brussels last week with the European Council, the big European Council, where the deal was finally revealed. We could talk a bit about the deal as well. Do I have to? I think we should just very briefly. It's basically May's first deal. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Okay. Groundhog DOP. And um, we also need to talk very briefly about... Um, no, we don't need to talk very briefly about the withdrawal agreement because we're not going to because meaningful votes and stuff are just we're just not going to do that. That's something that other people do. Well, I also I don't understand the with meaningful vote stuff. Lewis Goodall from Sky put out that thread this morning and everyone's like, oh yes, yes, amazing. Yeah, we're thread. not talking about it. I know. I'm just saying part of the reason we're not talking about it is because even if you wanted to talk about it, I can't because I don't have a fucking clue what's going on. Seriously, I've never felt more stupid in my life than this week. Apart from those things that people put on LinkedIn to test your IQ. I didn't see that. I don't look at LinkedIn. Well, you're wise because you feel stupid a lot of the time. Well, what we are going to talk about um, is citizens' rights again. Uh. We're not going to spend a huge long time on it because it's too depressing. But um, we can't have you back on the podcast without talking about it, Laura, because Laura, you are now a bona fide proper um, media star because you've been on Sky twice. News. <laughs> well, yeah, in, in a week. No, I've been on Sky twice in well, my life. Was it? Yeah. Well, then I, okay, well, I keep seeing different clips of you on Twitter. That's because so I'm sitting there retweeting it in the hope that somebody watches it and actually pays attention to the shit show. But, but it was brilliant. You were, you were sort of full on Raji honey badger. Raji? Yeah, Is Raji. Is it Indian? The, an Indian Raji, the honey badger? 
No, we don't do racial stereotypes okay. on this podcast. No, um, Raji, as in you were full of rage. I was, but I, uh, yeah, I mean, basically, I, well, I was on Sky talking about the withdrawal agreement again, basically. Yeah. And it's actually very nice because Sky, one of the few broadcasters that actually take, gives us any attention. Yeah. In a meaningful way. And they let us do proper interviews, like five or six minutes, not just two minutes of, <clears throat> and it takes half an hour to explain our problems anyway. Uh, but yeah, the two things that are really upsetting me at the moment is the S1 healthcare stuff. So, you know, you probably, all your listeners probably know what S1 healthcare is, but it's the healthcare that the British government, as part of its EU membership, pays for its retirees on the continent and also people with disabilities, a few number of, small number of posted workers and students, mm. but the main ones are really the pensioners, about 180,000. And the sort of latest low if you want to call it that and it's hard to you know every time we think they've scraped the barrel when it comes to real people's lives they always seem to find another gem is that about three weeks ago Matt Hancock who is I think we can all agree well Um, let's come back to what we think of Matt Hancock Hancock. yeah they use I mean this is what I found particularly odious is he used the first day of the Labour Party conference to put out a press release saying they were only going to fund this healthcare for six months in the event of a no deal Brexit or 12 months if you just started treatment and there's loads of people who've got cancer, quite mm. advanced cancer, amongst other things, Parkinson's, they're old, don't know what's going to happen. And at best, the government is saying, oh, we only know it's a negotiating ploy. But it's like, yeah, it's pretty shit, really. These are people who at the end of their lives don't need this no. hanging over them. So there's that. And then there's a debate tonight, and actually I haven't seen it, so I don't know, but I saw something the other day that says that there's a debate going on in Parliament about stripping the rights of EU, EEA and Turkish citizens to hold, to own businesses. Well, that was... That was Which is, I find it very difficult to see if that will get through. Steve Pearce thinks it has to be for the future. Well, I even don't know the fact about that it, that's but it's being even discussed, discussed is, is disgusting. The so. fact that that's being discussed is, 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 is just horrifying. And, and there were some really, really angry comments about it last night, including, I mean, I retweeted somebody who said, well, this is basically like Kristallnacht, isn't it? Really it? It's, is. it's like, um, it's like um, you know, taking away the corner shop of the, of the you know, um, or taking away the, the business and giving it to one of you. Now, Jamie Suskin pushed back quite hard and said, it is a disgusting thing. It's also disgusting to compare it to Kristallnacht. And I, I do think he had a point. I think Who's we Jamie do need... Suskin? Jamie Suskin is um, the enfant terrible of um, uh, progressive politics. He's a uh, former... Uh, Labour, a wunderkind barrister who's written a super book that everybody should have read by now on, on how we're going to reinvent the progressive left. I mean, he's he's well, um, better get on with it. Yeah, you should know. He's very impressed. I'll put a link to the book in the, in, in the episode notes. But no, I mean, I, I think he had a point. I think we, we do have to be careful to say, look, um, when we draw parallels to what happened in the 1930s, I think those are legitimate parallels, and I, I don't think we're wrong to say we're on a similar kind of trajectory. It's not saying that we're going to end up at the same place. But, I mean, that said, you know, Kristallnacht was something else. And, and, and I do think that we need to be careful in our anger not to then belittle what happened to people. No, I think know? I think you're right. I mean, I, I mean you know, it's, and it's easy to make those comparisons, said she, who just sort of jumped in on that because she was feeling so upset about it. But I do feel very mindful about this kind of, drip feeding of small poisonous announcements mm. that are all you know okay so with the pretty Brazil free movement stuff she's not allowed to do that but she's only not allowed to do it legally politically mm. she wants to do it mm. you know and it's just 
I think Nick Cohen made a very good point in his column that he wrote in The Observer a couple of weeks ago saying you can trust, you can judge a government by how it treats mm. the foreigners under its control mm. because it's how it like to treat, to treat the population given half a chance. And I certainly think actually when it applies to Brits living on the continent who are affected by Brexit, it's exactly the same thing <laughs> too because every time Theresa May was given the chance to do the right thing, she chose to you know chase after cutting our rights like a demented... Yes. Child in a sweet shop. Well, the, ne- the next thing with the headline in the Daily Mail this morning, or was it yesterday, um, which you certainly won't have seen because no sane person looks at the Daily Mail or, unless it was uh, um, accidentally pushed into your uh, timeline. The, the headline was that the government is considering legislation to criminalise undermining its negotiating position. I thought that was in The Sun yesterday. Well, it, But I'm it's the same sure story. The, yeah. yeah. So... Now, I don't know whether there's any mileage to this at all, but the fact, again, the fact that people are talking about it, it's... <laughs> Shouldn't they then be prosecuting Daniel Kaczynski, the yeah, supposedly should, fluent yeah. Polish speaker who's using all his charm and skill to try and persuade the Polish government to veto the extension? The extension yeah, of course they should. But no, but I mean, just generally the point that just the, it, 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 it's the idea that you're then going to legislate into, into law this outrageous slur on on us on on, on those who disagree with Brexit that we are somehow unpatriotic or we're a fifth column but you know also where that story has its origins is it's that story about how Downing Street had supposedly got intelligence saying that the the Ben Act had been written by with EU support I didn't see that no that's where this I think this is where it comes from so this is and then when the original Mail on Sunday article came out about six paragraphs in or whatever it said that you know government said that they hadn't actually seen any clear intelligence about this i mean it's basically it's seriously just like propaganda um so yeah i mean it the whole thing is just basically smoking moose i mean the other thing is steve pierce says apparently they're trying to debate this every year so god knows what will happen i mean the whole thing is absolutely i mean the fact that we're even ent- discussing this is kind of giving it oxygen yeah no let's not right. talk about let's it anymore about it. anyway the the, the, up, the long and the short of it is that you uh, were on tv on our screens um also it seemed all the time in the last few days that's because i've been tweeting all the being clips super to try angry. and get people to look at it and that, so this is the story behind your new profile pic which is of some kind of verminous creature well, yeah. So, so it's, it's, well, no, I didn't know anything about this either because you and I are so out of touch on things that go viral, except our own threads on Brexit. Um, you know, honey badgers. Who knew? Apparently, they're just really aggressive and like fight their corners and beat up lions and stuff. And are they what, actually badgers? Yeah, well, they are. Yes. And what's the honey bit? I don't know. Maybe they like to eat it. I haven't got a clue. They rip the heads off cobras and stuff, which will be my next act. I think when I next time I do an interview, I'll be ripping a head off. Except I'm vegetarian, so you know I can't do that. Um, but yeah, my cousin said I didn't look like a full-on honey badger. I just looked mildly angry. So then I decided that actually I'm getting there. I feel like it's going to happen. Mm. Yeah, I, I find myself doing that once. I mean, I, I when when particularly egregious Levy stuff gets tweeted into my timeline and I see it, and or if they respond to something I've said um, with some egregiously Levy kind of. Well, I don't it mind just it. Makes me, I just put the red mist descends and I have to really be careful not to tweet something that would be uh, ruin my brand. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah brand. Your, your brand. Um, I have to say two <laughs> things that make balanced. me feel much better and less red misty. I've blocked Julia Hartley Brewer and Piers Morgan and suddenly my timeline is oh, so much I don't, better. I don't look at them. Yeah. No, but I don't want them in my timeline because mm. everybody else piles in. No, no, I don't see that. So I don't, well, I do, so I just block them and I actually <clears> feel... 
like my life is a much better place for it. Yeah, that sounds sensible. Yeah. But then you wouldn't have seen the famous Twitter Arsenal World Cup. I don't feel I've missed out. Yeah, well, you did miss out because Essex Buccaneer did in the most incredible um, Twitter Twitter Arsenal World Cup. The Piers win. No, Nigel Farage won, of course. Because I don't think Nigel Farage writes his own tweets. Well, I mean, he's still a massive arsehole on Twitter, though. He is, but there's yeah, rich, it was, there's he, rich the final was him. The, the final was him versus... Uh, Hartley Brewer. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, so I'd actually, I think she's worse. I think it was 52-48 in the end. It always is. All the best results are. Um, anyway... I would put her hmm. before him. I actually think she's more unpleasant. Well, I mean, it's a different kind of tox, toxin. Yeah, but I, I, he vaguely... I know I'm getting in trouble with your listeners yes. this... That thing, you know, where the guy phoned in to his show and said that he'd had an epiphany about Brexit because a horse had kicked him in the head. You, might, you Did you not, not no. see that? Oh, it was amazing. It was about a month ago. And somebody rang in to Farage's LBC show and said that he'd been an ardent Remainer and a big Europhile and that, he, you know, something had happened. And it's a really beautifully told story. And I was like, what, what? And he was like, but then something happened. It just changed my mind. And Nigel Farage's like, what? And he goes, got kicked in the head by a horse. <laughs> and to his credit, Farage actually smirks and then goes, oh, well done. Thanks for calling. But it's actually the only time in my life where I vaguely thought, actually, good on you. Because he took it, you know, you could tell he thought it was quite funny. And it's like, right, I've got to get this person off my, you know, waste. I got punked. I got, what was it, punked. So I was quite, you know, that's it. But you say, Julia Hartley Brewer, I've never seen any, in, you know, flash of humour, even. Hmm. Anyway, let's. Why are we discussing these yeah, people why are we as well? About them? So listen, did, you were on the march, weren't you? I was on the march. I, w- I wasn't. You weren't. Um, what am I going to say about the march? Actually, having I always feel like I need to go, especially for this one, and I think I've got. Um, we'll still be going in twenty years, won't we? Um, I went more in solidarity than in hope, which is really pompous. But I think it was much more for me, like you know, we need to show up, and also British in Europe, we marched with three million, and it's really important because most people know. That those two groups couldn't vote so there is a particular sort of democracy and justice mm. point for them and I have to say I actually really enjoyed it and I know this sounds bizarre because why wouldn't you enjoy a march mm. you know people like to go they like shouting songs but I found the last one incredibly dull I don't know I was just so bored by it and this one mm. actually I felt I felt very sad and emotional but mm. mostly about the citizens rights stuff and but it was just a very nice vibe to march with the people that I really like and that I've come mm. to know and sort of care about yeah People say there was loads more people there. I have no sense in it. To me, it's no, just always loads of people. No, yeah. Do you know? You know, we yeah. couldn't move when we got into Whitehall. So we cut in. Mm. So we were moving. Mm. So that's actually quite fun. Mm. So yeah, no, it was good. And there were some funny signs, which I'm, I won't repeat. Um, mm. And we were there in the rain when the the Letwin Amendment mm. was announced, and you know, a bit like being in Glastonbury, mm. but in the you know, but nerdy. Mm. And it was just yeah, it felt like a good vibe. Um, but I have to say, I you know, I. Never stick around for the speeches anymore oh, because no. I don't need to no. be told by David Lammy that everything's an outrage. No, I mean, David Lammy's brilliant. No, he is, I, but I, he's I the same speech as I, I know. I, I, I mean, not. have you heard it in 2017, which is the one that we went yeah. on together? No, and you've I, heard I, it. I'm not interested in the speeches. I mean, I, I didn't go. I mean, I, I, I couldn't um, for, for family reasons. I, I just, I couldn't. And I felt really bad about it. I felt, firstly, I felt guilty. And secondly, I felt that I was missing out because, mm-hmm. as you say, it's become a kind of tribe, hasn't it? It's become a... It's a place where you go to recharge your battery and gain some energy, I think, actually. Marches? Yeah. Maybe. I think some people do. I, I have to say, I didn't really feel that. I just felt that it's important to show up and be counted, mm. which is, again, I, all these pompous sort of historical cliches. But even, you know, my... 
my personal sentiment is I think we're going out and I think this week's crazy but I, I don't think we're going to stop it yeah. I don't go with mm. I go because I think it's really important to show up and to show support mm. but I don't go and get my batteries recharged and think it makes me want to carry on mm. but that's also because I just feel completely wiped out by the sort of shit show that is citizens rights so yeah. it's a slightly different thing Should, this is a very cheerful podcast should we move on yeah so let's talk a little bit about last week so last week what happened um was that we had the European Council on Thursday, all week long, the two sides, the Commission, Barnier and the UK, had been in this tunnel. And the upshot of all of this was, lo and behold, white smoke, the announcement of a deal. So underwhelmingly dull. Well, I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I had absolutely been expecting a deal. Um... Or rather, I had been expecting there to be an announcement of something that they would call a deal. I had been expecting it simply to be a repackaged deal. Um, and they would call it a deal and both sides would do their best to spin it victory. and spell it. Uh, uh, spin it in such a way and sell it in such a way that um, Johnson could go home and say, look at this, I've got massive concessions. What an amazing victory. Um, now we can vote, vote it through and all go home and Brexit will be done. And of course, Brussels wants that too, because Brussels wants to get on with it, which is what I've been saying the last few podcasts. And psychologically, as far as they're concerned, we've left. Like, as in, they they want to... I do think this is a really important point to make. I still talk to... I mean, you probably find this with colleagues. I still talk to, you know, various colleagues and clients and friends who work for the institutions. Make no mistake, they would much rather the UK was staying. They really would. No. Uh, But the nut at now as in they don't you know they're really not they don't want us staying in this current form and they also can see that remain is just not what it's at together no, and they've no. got bigger problems and they've moved on and they've moved on and psychologically they moved on a long time yeah. ago so no i mean I, I i i sit in eu meetings um in the council and, and the uk chair is empty and no one cares nobody cares i mean nobody misses them and um, it's as if they've been gone for years no, I, um, the EU wants this done. Uh, certainly the Commission wants it done. Um, so that's that's what this deal is all about. Now, um, what happened last week was that we had a, a number of visitors joining grassroots movements that are Brussels-based and, 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 and EU-based coming here to talk up the prospect of an extension to try and explain that, you know what, the will of the people that these people keep citing... The will of the people has changed. In the UK, there is no appetite for Brexit anymore. The majority of people don't want to leave the EU. We've got the largest pro-European grassroots movement of any EU member state. So don't get talked into this by Johnson. Think of the UK. Think of UK citizens. Think of our future. Don't let this populist win. Think long term. Don't think short term. And that's what they were there to do. So, for example, you had... um, uh, Naomi Smith, who's now CEO of Best for Britain, uh, Pimlicat on Twitter, mm-hmm. she was in town with a group of um, of UK politicians, UK MPs, um, who were coming to talk about what might happen in the UK political sphere in order to get to uh, some kind of Remain option. Mm-hmm. You had a group of Remainers now that we're going to be meeting in a second. Um, who were here to talk about how why they had changed their minds. 
You had, of course, final say for all. Love Best for Britain, three million. Um, no, I did the three million bit. Yeah. British and Europe. Yeah, British and Europe. I was getting to you. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten you. There was that build up. All here. We did a big rally on outside my office on the Thursday, the day of the council. Um, you got up and talked. I did outside Chris's office, especially. We just did it. It was orchestrated to humour Chris. Yes, it was brilliant. I just went and had my lunch, came out, and stood there, and someone told me that usually you just wave out the window. <laughs> Who said that? I can't remember. It's like, oh, I can't pass the car. I'll just give you a wave. That's it. That revolutionary spirit. But yes, hey, you listen, actually came I'm down podcast. this time. You podcast. <laughs> That's my contribution. The revolution will be podcasted. Um, yeah, no, it was it was a good rally actually. Yeah, it was. It was very good. And it was I had a lot human. of my colleagues there. It was, yes. Well, I mean, you know what? It was it was human, and 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 I really was actually extremely moved by you and by Nikki in particular. Nikki, who was on our podcast, um, the, the last podcast, it wasn't last. Was it last week? No, we didn't do it last week. The two weeks ago, we had a podcast with Do Nikki, a yeah. bloke from Barnsley, Nikki James, who just, she really, I she really moved me with her story. She always does. I mean, it, because it's a very moving story, the, 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 this, this awful story that she has of being... Forced to choose. Without any, you know, she didn't do anything. She didn't do anything to, to, to ask for this, to demand, to deserve this. All she did was be a person who'd chosen to live somewhere and care for someone which was her, absolutely her legal right and a legal guarantee, and all of a sudden those rights have been taken away oh, from her. Yeah. Now she's absolutely screwed. You know, she what she what does she choose? Does she choose to look after her elderly parents? Parents? Does she choose to look after her sick husband? You know, where does she go? Boy, she's not sitting on a pile of cash. She's not raking it in on, with some pension fund. And she, you know, she's representative. She's not just Nikki. She's representative of very, very many people who are being. Their lives are being stolen away from them. Yeah, well, the the the, um, the biggest problem in this is problem. I mean, I'm, I'm, is it's the right of return with your spouse. So, and this is where it becomes difficult because if you are a Brit married to say an American or an Indian, then there are certain rules that apply in terms of the minimum income requirement that you, as the returning Brit, would need to satisfy Nikki Nikki's. And this is going to now apply to Brits with EU spouses after Brexit. Whereas actually, if you're an EU citizen, you have the right to keep your family together. So it is like changing the football, the, game, mm. the rules of a football match halfway through yeah. the game. And actually, in our, you know, both our co-chairs in Britain and Europe have EU German husbands. And so it's again, it's one of these things when people say, oh, take nationality. And it's like, no, it doesn't fix it. No. It doesn't, it doesn't fix, fix it. it. I mean, and this is why I think one of the reasons why our issues are so difficult to talk about is because they take half an hour to explain. Yes, and I mean, and that's not fit point, on a bus. You know, we shouldn't have to bloody fix it. You know, no, I know. Should you have to fix it. You know, we, you, you know, you did something and they come along and wreck it and then it's up to you to fix it. I mean, even if it were capable of being fixed, that's not good enough. But actually, they're not capable of being fixed. So fuck them, you know? I mean, it makes me extre- extremely angry um, because I, you know, you and I are in relatively lucky position. I'm very lucky. You, you, you know, you've got your Belgian nationality now. I always had my German nationality. I mean, compared to many people, we're actually, we're all right, Jack. But it, it, the sense, the injustice of it, absolutely, I'm incensed by it. I'm no, incensed I know. Well, by I it. Still... It's disgusting and it's criminal and I can't not 
Well, I'm, I'm alternately it. incensed and alternately completely, uh, what's the word, polaxed by it, as in just defeated and weary. I And I think also, I know you and I probably disagree here, but I think the thing that I cling to in this is that I do think, I remember, I remember having conversations in the referendum, well, conversations, but exchanges with people who were going to vote leave on Facebook and Twitter and it was the whole you're scaremongering about citizens' rights stuff. Because vote leavers said they'll be fine. And I do think, I mean, I, you know, there's like Emma from Remain and Now was one of those, you know, believed it. And, you know, and that the, what the guy from, I forget his name, but the guy who spoke at the rally last week from Remain and Now. Um, and, you know, a lot of people did believe this. And why shouldn't you believe your politicians? Mm. And I do think that a huge number of people who voted leave are big hearted and the human impact was something they didn't understand because Vote Leave lied about it and Remain just didn't talk about it. I mean, there was no human stuff in the Remain campaign. And even now, if you look at it, the the right-wing press, not interested. Any other time, you know, you look at the Thomas Cook, Thomas Cook story, mm-hmm. stranded Brits on holiday, mm-hmm. front page for two days, a million Brits mm-hmm. basically having their lives overturned. But because it's by the hands of their own government for, for their ideological gain, not interested. I mean, I, I thought that one of the most powerful points that you made was that if you look at Remain, if you look at UK citizens in Europe, that that's a city the size of Birmingham. Mm, it is. So, if you're if you're one of those people who pops up on, on our timelines frequently, saying, "Yeah, well, fuck you. Who cares? Who cares what you think? Ha ha! Suck it down, losers." What you're basically saying is that, you know, there's a city the size of Birmingham that you you you, you, you simply ignore, or you know, you want to nuke. Yes, but it's the <laughs> Just, it's the blood and soil argument. Um, you know, we're not there; we left. Yeah. And uh, no, I know, but it's just it's, it's just, just blood and soil. So again, yet again, we're 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 using a 1930s analogy, except it's not an analogy. I mean, it's you know, we don't want to debase the currency. We don't want to go all Godwin here. But, I mean, what else can you do? But I had two... So after I did my Sky interview on Friday, I had some nice emails and then I had two nasty ones. One of them was vile, as in it was... I mean, it wasn't like anything like Tanya Guess mm. or Jess Phillips, but it was unpleasant. Mm. And accused me of being a selfish Romaniac and this, that and the other, whereas actually I hadn't talked about Romain. I hadn't mm. talked about myself. So he obviously just hadn't listened, but yeah. I decided to just go... Um, and then the other one was from someone who supposedly had voted Remain, but he had gone more thinking that, you know, if you emigrate, you should adapt to the system. And they, like, yeah. But this isn't emigrating, that's the point. If you emigrate, oh. yeah. you have to go through certain criteria. Yeah. You make a conscious choice to leave, whereas when you're, when you're in, using your free movement within the EU... You're not leaving. You've never really left. You're just living in another yeah. part of the EU. No, I know. But this is the thing is that a lot of people just really don't can't get their heads well, around that. It, no. They don't get it. And it's not really properly explained. And, you know, even the <clears> scene <throat> of the benign press thinks it's mm. just country hopping. Anyway, right. Let's move on from that one. Well, no, we talk well, about the, oh. no, shut up. Um, stop trying to boss, boss the podcast. I'm, I'm in charge. You are. Um, so what I wanted to... Now you're cross with me. So you're looking at your I'm phone. not cross with you. I want to see who's engaged on your... Do that afterwards. We're All talking. Right. <laughs> I'm listening. Shall I look at you again like that? I'm not cross. Just get on with it. Out. They'll Where be closed. Was I? What was I talking about? Oh, you're the worst guest. Um, so the the conversation about mm. the 1930s, the parallels to the 1930s, um, 
I'm, I, I, we met, we d- discussed it briefly earlier, and I, I talked about the, the comment that Jamie Susskind has made. I just wanted, before I forget, did I say this before? There was a really interesting conversation that was on the on the House podcast with. Um, I talk about it every week because I'm really. I think it's a fantastic podcast. Is that Philip Lee. Uh, it's Philip Lee and Sam Jima, and they had Alistair Campbell on this week. So, they had the, so the three of them were having this conversation, and I thought it was a really interesting one. It was about when you can play the the, the Godwin, when you can play the Godwin card, when you can talk about Hitler, <laughs> and you know it was a very interesting conversation. So I, I recommend that people have a listen to that. Right now. You're allowed to move on. No, I was just going to say, you wanted to talk, we were going to talk about the withdrawal agreement. We are. Before we do that, we're going to listen to the remainders now. So I'm here at the Berlaymont, just outside the Berlaymont, which is the headquarters of the European Commission. Um, it is Wednesday evening. We're standing in the rain, in the pouring rain. It's dark. It's noisy. You'll hear cars coming past because we can't record in the pub. Um, and I'm here with a bunch of remainers now. All right, let me ask you all to introduce yourselves. I'm Dami from London. Dami from London. Hi, I'm Io from London. I am Sim from London. And Emma Jane from the Midlands. Oh, excellent diversity. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just talk about why you're here, what, what we think of what's going on, and uh, where we think this is all going to go. <laughs> so who wants to start? So throughout the whole process I've been disappointed in the conduct of the government I don't like the way the government has gone about negotiations um, and that goes for uh, Theresa May's government and now Mr Johnson's government as well so what I'm hoping for is uh, a common sense approach and I want there to be a possibility in parliament because we know there's going to be uh, an emergency session I'd like parliamentarians to get together and actually have a proper uh, people's vote motion on the table so you, so you're, so you voted leave. Yeah, voted leave in 2016. Okay. Um, now, if you got a vote today, you'd vote remain. Yes, I would. Okay. And the reason you've changed your mind is because you think it was just handled so badly. Well, that's part of it. I mean, I voted leave um, not because I was a particularly strong leaver, but it was a kind of not sure, uh, you know, kind of give it a give it a go kick him in the nuts sort of thing so I thought okay you know I'm, I don't really I'm not very certain about this but kind of let's try it out and see what happens but the first thing that went wrong is that Theresa May refused to consider an EFTA solution to the issue and she didn't want to move across parliament and see what uh, the other political parties thought um, so from that moment you could tell that there was this big problem of partisanship about whether the the idea was to bring the country together about around a workable solution or whether it was to promote the policy and to keep certain people in the Conservative Party happy. Now we're in a situation where those people in the Conservative Party hasn't, haven't been kept happy and neither has the rest of the country. So bad governance is the key to a lot of this. Okay. I mean, is that... Does that strike a chord with the rest of you? I mean, what, what, where, where, where have the rest of you come from? Let's, let's talk to somebody else. I'm Ayo Adesina. So I live in Essex. I'm a web developer. Um, and I changed my mind in 2017. So I also did vote to leave in 2016. Um, again, I wasn't a strong leaver at all. But I was... Um, so I was sort of... 
on the on the fence really and I looked at the evidence sort of on both sides <clears throat> and I just thought you know I thought this is a reasonable country I actually remember thinking that that this is a reasonable country even if we both leave we'll be able to sort it out in a very sort of reasonable way and I think when Theresa May called that election and she basically told the country to give her a mandate to you know go and negotiate Brexit when she lost her majority she basically continued as if she had a hundred seat majority and she could do what she wanted Um, she took no notice of you know that result because basically she asked the public for a mandate and the public said no um, essentially and I think that was the point where she had all the outs at that point where she could have on for different flavours of um, Brexit there was she could have had a more consensual sort of approach to Brexit but she decided to sort of like go on this I think she was trying to be Margaret Thatcher to be honest with you I really do think um, the like history of Margaret Thatcher and her being sort of the next sort of female um, Prime Minister she felt like she had something to prove and she wanted to be this iron lady and she just wasn't Margaret Thatcher you know yeah Yeah, so I mean I'm here today well over the next few days um, in Brussels to essentially lobby the people in power to give us a second referendum because I think it's very important that we have a second referendum for a few different reasons I think either way if we were to leave even with a deal without a second referendum or we were to remain without a second referendum I think half the country would be very very um, justifiably pissed off quite frankly because I think it was not clear in 2016 that it were ver- there were multiple versions of leave even though it was kind of touted around on the ballot paper it was sort of just leave or mar- remain it was a binary thing where really and truly it's a very complicated thing there's lots of great areas there's lots of different options and Theresa in retrospect I probably actually did vote for something like Theresa May's deal like you know something that sort of kept us in the single market to an extent, the customs union, but out of the sort of political things. But now in 2019, having studied a lot more, having worked in Europe, um, you know, read a lot more, I believe that the deal we already have is better than her deal. So why leave? And I just think this is not about winning or losing. I think this is the big problem that this has been turned into sort of who's gonna win and who's gonna <coughs> lose. It's actually what's about what's best for the country and for you know my children and their children and the long-term stability of the uk it's not about winning or losing so you know in my mind the facts have changed and i've changed my mind and so, i just say what do you do so so now so you're a hard remainer i'm a hard remainer i am a staunch <laughs> remainer um excellent i live in well even though i'm from london so i grew up in london so i actually live in romford just outside london where it's a strong leave area yeah. and I find myself a lot of the time especially when I go to the gym because mm. I put on a Remain Now t-shirt and it <laughs> always comes up someone will say something in the changing rooms and then it just ends up with me versus 10 people you know like um, yeah. Remain yeah and it just turns into a f- I just I, I don't mind a good work yeah, it's, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> it's just facts I just I just always sort of sort of say okay let's come let's come to the facts and um, I usually See, win I don't get that here <laughs> See, this is. I mean, somebody asked a question the other day. It was like, what, "Do the levers that you know? What what are they like?" And I'm like, "I don't actually know any levers. I, mean, I don't. Oh. I know, but I, I know I live in a bubble. I know, but I have two daughters, one of whom is disabled. Um, she has autism, epilepsy, learning difficulties, and we rely heavily on state services for her. Um, and 
through austerity there was an awful lot of cuts and I really struggled to get the care that she needed and the schooling that she needs. I had to campaign really hard to get her into a school that involved a 40 mile round trip every day and the funding for her taxi, her carers, everything. And up, up, I'm pretty ferocious so I did win that battle but it really annoyed me and the constant thing was we know your daughter needs it but we haven't got any money. So that was what was going on in 2015. Combine that with the vote leave, I wasn't that engaged with politics and, and the message that they were giving was we send huge sums of money to Brussels, you know, we can fund 20 more hospitals, we can fund this. And for a family like myself, I'm thinking, gosh, we actually can't afford our membership of the EU anymore. Yeah. Th that, this that's is where my thinking was. That's um, what they said. I was, was thinking, what do I get for this? I get freedom of movement, which is fantastic. But what I read right now is a school for my daughter. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. this spin of the billions of pounds that we spent and we're funding our NHS and funding education and all of these things made me vote leave. And then afterwards, I sort of, you know, watch the news and think this doesn't seem actually quite truthful mm. and then you find out that actually the amount that we send is less than my Netflix contribution mm. in terms mm. of what I pay of my taxes and think this is not right at all yeah. when you see it on a bar graph and um, question an awful lot about what they were saying yeah. and, and then I became more engaged with it mm. so at that time I was busy working full time looking after quite a demanding child when I got home I was sort of skim reading the news but not fully mm. oh yeah okay right and this is the way I went we can't afford it anymore and we need this yeah and I clearly regret it no I mean thank you for sharing that I mean I, I generally don't share an awful lot about my private life but I also have uh, um, a daughter who has special needs and um, I, I think we went through a very similar process in terms of fighting really hard to get a school to get the services that would get her to that school all those things and I mean so I, I you know I have nothing but sympathy and admiration for for, 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 for what you've said there I mean for me if, if anything that's one of the that's one of the elements that that makes me most angry is that is the way that this lie was sold to people who genuinely were suffering because austerity has been such I mean I you know I often get this. Um, I get criticised online for sort of people. Who are, look, look, let's focus on austerity. You know, the Brexit thing is a distraction. We need. I'm like, how the bloody hell do you think that we're going to afford to to to, to end austerity and to rebuild our utterly devastated public services if we if we're going through some kind of economic? Yeah, we've crippled our economy. Yeah. And then the way that we talk about the EU is if you know, well, we paid the EU and they give us some of the money back, but we could. It's, just, it's an investment, which I saw Alex Andreu did a fantastic tweet the other day on behalf of Best for Britain, where I hadn't seen this figure before, but I'm not at all surprised by it, where he said that the estimated return on investment of our, if you like, subscription or our investment into the EU is somewhere between sort of 500 and 2,000%, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm pulling those figures out of my ass, but it was, that, that was the ballpark, you know. But, I have read equally huge sums of money that, that what we give in terms of the contribution back into our economy is, is incomparable. Um, and it's just trivial amounts, actually, for what we receive in terms of the economic benefit, which benefits all of us yeah. in terms and of an enriched tax takings. People ask me, um, 
So yesterday, uh, I was asked, well, why are you here in Brussels? What do you hope to achieve? And talking with a couple of MEPs last week, um, they said um, the feeling in Brussels is at the minute with some of the other countries that they're so sick of the UK that they want Brexit done and they just want this deal done so we can all move forward. And what we're going to try and say tomorrow in our message is that obviously we can't control what Boris negotiates and what gets through but if it comes to an extension and he is asking for an extension we would like to ask for long enough in order that a people's vote can happen a three-month extension is still going to have tremendous pressure in the UK as what do we do now and if we had a one-year extension that allows time it allows breathing space for our political parties to get their acts together without this pressure cooker and allow time for a people's vote to happen yeah so so you're here one of the things that you're asking for not only are you asking for you politicians to uh consider the whole of the uk and uk public not just the people who are representing us in other words the yeah but also um if an extension is to be given, do it properly. Do it so that we have a chance to, yeah, yeah, yeah. To correct this mess. Yeah. We've ended up in a huge mess because nothing was defined beforehand. Yeah. So leave wasn't defined beforehand. And the whole referendum question was entirely vague. So I was talking to somebody who voted leave and they voted no deal, yeah. hard Brexit. I voted leave thinking a Norway deal. Yeah. And that was the same box. They're yeah. completely different things. Yeah. Uh, and... Yeah. This is the mess that we're in. Yeah. Yeah. So this needs to be hugely unpicked and taken back to the people as to what, what yeah. we want. So Steve and I, uh, so Steve, Steve isn't with us this evening, but I mean, Steve and I, he discussed uh, a, a, few, a few times recently um, how the mood in Brussels and in the EU27, I mean, frankly, our sense is that it is shifting, it is hardening. I think... There really is a, a, a huge amount of Brexit fatigue in this in this city, and people are very very anxious to move on. Uh, it, it's partly to do with the fact that we're in the middle of a, a tr- an administration t- transition. Um, uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, really, I mean, when you talk to the average person as well around, you know, they'll be like, you know, shit will get off the pot. I mean, just you know, please, you know, we've, we've had enough. This is, you know, just go, you know, and which is very di- distressing to hear as as as, as a Brit uh, because. You know, that leaves us, you know, <laughs> stranded. But My name is Sim Riots. I'm 23 years old, so I'm a young'un. And uh, like everyone else, I voted Leave. And currently, I work as a venture capital associate. So, firstly, on why I voted Leave. It's a multi-layered reason, but we'll go back to my hometown of Barking Dagenham. And I'll be quite frank about the state of Barking Dagenham. It is one of the most deprived areas in the United Kingdom. Despite being situated 40 minutes away from the Mother of Parliaments, we have been ravaged by, we were ravaged by the coalition austerity that was both unnecessarily, unnecessary as it was savage. Uh, the United States opted for a stimulus package whilst we opted for cuts everywhere that ultimately had no effect. Our debt to GDP is still ridiculously high. So growing up in this place, we had seen how government had failed us, how um, our education was lower. I went to a school with a 37% graduation rate i went our nutrition is worse worse our healthcare is worse crime is endemic my father was stabbed at one point <clears throat> years ago um i even saw a child who would be 13 or 14 who was acid attacked in broad daylight 
and that's something you never forget. So my entire philosophical worldview was based that was based on government does not work. That was the experience I had growing up. What ultimately changed for me and changed my mind was I was at a debate at the University of Surrey, and it was between Douglas Carswell, who was the first UKIP MP MP to break away, and Anna Subri, who was a Tory MP at the time. She started talking about I hate to use the word project fear, about the war, about、um, looming economic catastrophe, all that sort of stuff. And Douglas, he gave a, an extremely positive vision on our future outside of Europe. He talked about improving animal welfare rights, about free trade agreements with every country that we could possibly want. So, as a 20-year-old, I was looking to work in finance. I thought, wow, I could work in New York City or Paris or、uh, Buenos Aires. Oh, Tokyo! At the moment notice, we could have whatever we want. And admittedly, I did not do the research that I should have. I disregarded the Irish water problem. I didn't think about the complexities of the single market. I didn't regard the、uh, full freedoms at the time, or how important customs unions would be, or how difficult international trade negotiations would be. Which you've done an excellent job of explaining to me how international negotiations work.、Um, so, at the time, I voted to leave, and I was happy. With my decision, I thought this is great. I mean, look at the crumbling EU.、Uh, bloody Wallonia have almost blocked CETA. <laughs> we're we're going out of this place. It's great. And、um, so I was for the first few months. Then, what changed was in November 2016, Donald Trump was elected. And I thought this is weird. We have now this impulsive madman at,、uh, to be at the whim of. But I thought, hey, maybe he'll be friendly associated with Republican. He could be tempted. I was then, and what helps I change my mind? I say my heart and my mind. And what begins with my heart was I came in August 2017 to this wonderful country, Belgium, and for the first time, continental Europe in ten years, I went to the party town of Bruges, had a great time partying with these amazing people from Germany, Spain, Belgium, Netherlands,、um, all about. And I, I thought, my gosh, how could we leave all of this?、Yeah. Uh, then I came to Brussels. I saw the EU, which went right outside of.、Oh, I think it's the one of the two, the Commission or the Parliament. And I thought, wow, the Commission. The Commission. <laughs> I thought, so this is it, huh? This is the seat of evil. But then、um, I thought, well, it's too late. We really can't do much. But then as time went on, and the checkers arrangement became more apparent, I realised this was nothing which I wanted for or aspired towards. And especially with Trump, with what he's doing. We cannot be at the mercy of a white supremacist who locks up little children in concentration camps. We cannot align our destiny with this man. One thing I'd like to say is we've seen the rise of fake news with Trump, but actually,、mm. uh, cast our minds back five years, <laughs> that wasn't part of our political system, and it actually started here with vote leave. Boris Johnson. They、yeah. gave us all this、um, absolute rubbish in their marketing of it. And we weren't、uh, aware enough. And when asked with a challenging question, they would just term it "project fear" because they couldn't answer it. And us, unaware that that was the new strategy of how to deal with conflicting questions that they can't really argue with, termed it "project fear." It's exactly the same as fake news out in America. He doesn't like what he's asked or given a real point to make. He just、news. goes fake news because、yeah. he doesn't want to deal with it. But we. 
as the British public, we weren't exposed to that prior to this. Well, um, well, well, I was, I was going to say one of my earliest memories of Brussels is in the building just around. You can't actually see it from this angle, but the building just around the corner here is the Charlemagne building, which used to be the headquarters of the council. And I had a, a very early memory of being uh, in that building in a meeting when in came the mop the blonde-haired uh, reporter for the Daily Telegraph who, <laughs> who, who then followed a story from the meeting that we was were in. <laughs> yeah, he was actually thinner back then. And, and he, he is the... I mean, and this is what people here know him for, of course. It, I mean, he is the person that almost practically invented the story, uh, the, 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 the genre of Euromyths, fake news from Brussels. I suppose what I was saying is that politics used to be stable we were all found it incredibly boring that's because it was safe and stable now suddenly this dynamite has been thrown in there everybody's engaged everybody has an opinion but it's actually quite frightening of what we're risking and i hadn't been exposed to fake news on such a huge scale that would affect the course of our country yes tabloid stories um but not like this mm. and never I feel like we were badly misled yeah. what you guys are doing in terms of seeking to row back on what happened where you feel a personal responsibility for what happened you, how far why, how widespread do you think that is among the public do you think that what what you've gone through is is widely shared or do you think that you're the exception well, I think it's clear. I mean, we've already had mention of the polling and we know that uh, only one poll that's been done since the start of 2019 has had leave um, ahead of Remain. It's very clear that the country today would choose to remain. And it's very clear that there's a growing number of Remainers now um, across the country. So I think it's good that um, we make that case and that the people yeah. in Europe know that yeah. um, and th- they're aware that we're kind of in a position where most of the country has been held to ransom by a government which essentially wants to serve its own interests for its own interests and doesn't necessarily reflect uh, the, the position of the country at the moment. So, I mean, why do you think people have changed their mind? Well, people have seen, I mean... Many, same reasons you Yeah, same reasons. I mean, I think many people have seen what has happened over the last three years. I think... The, the the close vote in 2016 showed that we the country isn't staun- and didn't staunchly vote for leave and it voted for leave on on a litany of lies mm. you know it, it, it was it was a very clear uh, intentional mm. program of mm. of obfuscation of the truth mm. and, and of deception mm. um, so I think because of that people can see that they've been lied to and they're not mm. happy about that and they've also been able to look at what the country's mm. become because of it and also they know more about what they're losing out yeah. um, by leaving the EU there, is, there are yeah. no sunlit uplands mm. in that mm. regard you know you cannot leave a club and have the benefits mm. you know that cakeism doesn't exist and with, which is why they're running so scared of another referendum because I mean they've, they've shot their bolt right. they know that they, they told their lies they know it's not going to work a second time it's around a, and they threw out this idea that they would make trade deals like they were taking out a new mobile phone contract yeah, yeah. we thought it was like oh just pop out you know negotiate it for half an hour job done it's yeah. like and we since learned that yeah. it takes 10 years to yeah. negotiate these I trade think it's deals. actually deeper than that and I think not only a lot of people have changed their minds but I also think a lot of people who didn't vote in another second in the second referendum would come out and actually vote because 
So we, we would actually get, instead of losing uh, interest, people saying, I'm so fed up of Brexit, I'm not going to bother to vote a second time. You hear people say that. Yeah. Actually, you think actually it's the opposite. Yeah. People oh, are now so energised and, and mobilised by this. I, I, would, I, predict, I would predict at least a 60-40 win for Remain. If we were okay. To That's what I would predict. I would present that into to regard. But I think one thing Ayo said there is really important. He said that it's deeper than that. Mm. And I think... Um, uh, Matthew D'Ancona, he wrote a, a really good article in The Guardian, I mm. think, last year, mm. that Brexit isn't only just about the facts and about people changing mm. their minds. Mm. It's also got to a point where the, the British people need to decide who they want to be. Yeah. They need to decide what their values are mm. and how we reflect those values. Mm. If your values are yeah. international cooperation, mm. um, social mobility, um, opportunity, uh, friendliness with your neighbours mm. and trade, then the EU is probably the right way to go. Yeah. If your values aren't that, then Brexit is the way to go. Yeah. So I think it's also a philosophical question about who the British people are and who they want to be as well. Thanks very much, guys. Let's go in and eat. Thank you for coming. Thank you for all that you do. And uh, we're all crossing our fingers that we get that referendum. So, yeah, so that was, that was the Remainers now coming to Brussels. Thank you for coming um, over to talk to us to share your experiences. I think it's really important that those experiences are heard and understood by politicians in the EU. I think they are. I do think that people are very conscious that the tide is shifting. Actually. I think that's the big sadness of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's I a deep sadness about here. I mean, because in a way, it doesn't make a difference. I yeah, mean, ultimately, the EU needs to look after themselves, and it's very sad that this is being done. Did you? Juncker was was was. Very good. Did you see what Juncker said? No, I know they're both very good, but Juncker was was asked by a UK journalist. Um, what did he say? What do you have to say to people who've changed their mind? Or what do you have to say to people who voted to leave? And he said, well, you were wrong. <laughs> I've misremembered that. It was very funny anyway. I thought it was very good. Well, I, th- didn't, was it, I think it was Juncker, or maybe it was Tusk, who said that they were glad they had an agreement, but really sad that it was one on Brexit. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That sounds like a Tusk thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. I like Tusk. Yeah. No, I think we're going to miss him, actually. I think he's he's been good in that role. I, don't, yeah. I, I think that he's going to be tough to match. I think Sean Michel's going to bring that same kind of varavum. I'm not sure if it's my place to say. Okay. <laughs> I uh, I don't know. I thought he was good. I, I liked Tusk. I liked Tusk. I once saw him out running in the park. Yeah, and was he was smoking a fag? No, but he looked like he wanted to be smoking a fag. It's probably imagine how your personal training sessions go. He had a couple of bodyguards as well. Of course he did. Yeah. But it was one of, you know those things where you're like, you know, you're out and you recognise somebody. So then you make eye contact with them for longer than you should when you, before you realise that actually you don't know them. It's just yeah. that they're quite famous. Yeah. 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 I know that. So, my mum's friends did that to Dennis Waterman in the super, in Waitrose in Beaconsfield, in fact. Do you know, I used to be a, I used to be a till jockey in Waitrose in Beaconsfield. Did you? Yeah, I used to work behind the tills there. We used to get famous people through there all the time because a lot of B-list and C-list celebs yeah. live, live around there. Yeah. So yeah, I used to and get, us. you know, that Val Dunican and... What's the name of... What was the lady, name of the lady who did the um, blind date? Scylla Black. Was she living yeah, in Beaconsfield? Yeah, oh, she lived gosh. up in Sea Green. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and I used to get who are, I got the uh, the weathermen because they, they yeah the weathermen. Is that part my crawfish? Hmm? John Kelly is away. Yeah, John Kelly, and yeah, because yeah. Vernon Kay lives around there now. 
I know, all these... Anyway, Vernon, if you're listening, I'm sure you're a big fan of Kate Watch. Right, go on. The deal, the deal. I have a question, which is that we had a deal. We have a deal now. I think it's um, pretty specious. I think it's a repackaged old deal and that there's an awful lot of spin going on by both sides in order to make it look palatable and... Didn't somebody tweet that Theresa May was basically like not the first woman who'd had her work dissed by a load of men who then later take credit for it? Yeah. Well, there's been some very clever tweets about it. The one I particularly liked was... Was my uh, own. No, no, it wasn't mine. It was somebody somebody said that they... Yeah, what you've done, what you've done, Johnson, is what you've come back from DFS with a full price sofa. But, um, uh, but no, there's been some pushback on me uh, and, and a couple of other people saying, look, you were the, you're the so-called experts who swore blind that the withdrawal agreement was not going to be reopened. And you were wrong. It was reopened. The EU did negotiate and did change it for the UK. So you were wrong. So what do we think? Was I wrong? Was I, did I make a mistake? Well, I'm going, to come, I'm going to answer that question in a moment, but I'd also like to make the point that from a citizen's rights perspective, it's quite offensive that they did reopen it for Northern Ireland, but because they told us throughout, since December 2017, that the withdrawal agreement was done and dusted and that everything else that was left outstanding from those negotiations, such as our ongoing free movement right, was going to be discussed in the future relationship. And we took them at face value. Uh, but they didn't. If they could reopen the, the withdrawal agreement for Northern Ireland, they could have done it for citizens' rights, and well, we just weren't worth it. So that's the first point I wanted to make. On the second point, to be quite simple, I think the EU will do whatever it feels like when it's acting in its own interest. Yeah. And I think it's exactly the same thing as bending its own rules. Yeah. This is advantageous for them. They didn't. They never wanted the all UK backstop. Yeah. Not exactly. So, so that, that's that's where I was going with this, which is that um, there's a reason why it was quotes reopened in order to review the backstop um, and not citizens rights it was because that's what the UK was pushing for UK doesn't care about citizens rights and because the EU wants a deal that doesn't cross its red lines so what's happened here is that the EU what we've got is you've got something that actually suits the EU better than what it had already yeah absolutely that's Um, what I yeah exactly so basically yeah we always said the EU is going to give what looks like a cracking deal. Well, no, that's not right. That's not correct. The EU is going to do whatever it takes to give Johnson enough material that he can then go back and try and spin it as a new deal without crossing its red line. What it's not going to do is cross its red lines, and it hasn't crossed its Mm. red lines. And exactly, so it didn't have, and the point is it reopened it, but it didn't reopen it to kick out. The backstop, it's just kept the front stop or whatever it's called. Well, it's, it, it, what it's done is it's now got rid of this whole notion about, well, if, then that, then this, then that, and then this, then that. And if that doesn't happen, well, then you end up with a backstop. No, it's basically saying, well, we'll just move straight to the backstop. So it's a front stop. But it's for Northern Ireland only. Yeah. So it's sold the DUP out. But the other thing that it's done, which is the one that makes me question myself, is that it, what, what it has done is it's taken the level playing field... Um, uh, element out of the withdrawal agreement which is legally binding and put it into the political declaration yeah. now that is that's 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 a change beyond where I thought they would go 
And you have to ask yourself, well, why did they do that? So that was a gift to the UK. They did that. They gave that to the UK because that was something that they, it was clearly felt that that was a concession that needed to be made. So that's gone further than I thought they would go. And I have to own that. Now, how do I make sense of that? Well, to me, it is obvious to the EU that whether it's in the withdrawal agreement or in the political declaration, it's going to be there in the end because the UK needs an agreement with the EU. Whatever these people think right now, they are going to need some kind of FTA with the EU. And any kind of FTA, no matter how skinny, no matter how Canada minus, minus, minus it is, is going to have to have some kind of level playing field element in yeah. it or else it simply won't get through the EU. The EU won't agree to it. So I, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it, I, I have to concede that they've given more than I thought they would have given but, I mean, honestly, I think that, they, that it was done knowing that you have to do that in order to, get to, 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 to make the make movement, to get this thing done and, and, and get these bastards out mm. so that we can get on with our lives. And it doesn't matter because ultimately, you know, the level playing field is going to have to be there one way or the other because the UK needs an agreement with us and we're not going to give them one unless there's a level playing field. That's what I think... The thing that's where I think it, it came from. Yeah. So I felt I had to sort of. I think I felt I had to to tackle that in the podcast. You tackled it well. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know what Steve thinks. Steve. Um, he won't be glazing over on, on that because he's a nerd like me, whereas you are kind of like. Um, yeah, know, I'm whatever. completely Stepford wife size now. It's like <laughs> computer says no. So, um, are we going to mention the light of the week? Yeah, go on then. Well, like, that was Dominic Rob's. Yeah, it was what we were just talking about, exactly. <laughs> the thing that you just slept through. <laughs> the thing I just slept through, but it was like Dominic Rob. Um, yeah, no, wasn't it? He said that the, the, the no, sort of citizens' rights, God damn it, worker protections were so important, they'd taken them out of the legally binding withdrawal agreement and put them in the political declarations then. It's like, there you go. Dominic Rob, what was it that he said that people were lazy, you know, British workers were lazy and. You know, didn't think what was it? I mean, amazing that stuff. No, no, I mean, the guy's he's he's a, he's a he's classic. The other Dom, it's Alan Bastard. No, he, he's a, he's an awful awful person. I mean, he he um, he was also the one who was surprised to learn that a lot of trade goes through Calais and Dover. Mm. Um, but um, did he actually say that? Did he? Or did well, he say I hadn't realised that we were an island or something? No, he hadn't realised how many to, to the extent to which the UK was reliant upon its trade for the Calais Dover crossing, or words to that effect. Facts that might have been influential in making a decision. Yeah, yeah. You know, you might think that he, as Brexit secretary or as a person who sort of campaigned for Brexit for the last umpteen years, might have given it's some right. consideration. He also said that Brexit was about character. Yeah, so right. there we go. Well, we're doomed in that case. All right, Laura. Listen, thank you very much for, for your hospitality. Thanks for the gin. Thanks for the glazed look of boredom. Thanks um, for the boiga. And. Um, we may call on your services again at some point soon. But in the meantime, carry on the good fight. Keep talking to Sky like a honey badger. and Apparently they make weird hissing, rattling sounds. So I've got to practice that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do that. That was horrible. Well, all right. I just thought it would cheer people up at the end. It's been such a gloomy podcast. Everybody likes an animal growl. Up the wrong way, we're going to have to stop. The creepy stuff, a secret wash, they can't expose them all.
house. They can't 